Well, if I was to ask you this morning, what is your greatest fear? Or what is your um, biggest anxiety or worry? How would you answer that question? I mean, maybe it's something that um, just gives you a pit in your stomach anytime you think about it. Maybe there is something that you want to avoid at all costs. It could be something very general, uh, like the economy or finances, or maybe uh, uh, worried about a, a pink slip coming at some point in time at your work. Maybe it's something with your health. Maybe it's a temptation that you've been overcoming but are fearful that you might fall into it at some point in some time. Maybe it caused you to break out into a, a, a cold sweat. Maybe it is reoccurring dreams that you have about whatever that fear or that anxiety may be. But let me tell you mine, if I could be just brutally honest here for just a second. My, one of my deepest, darkest fears and anxieties that I've had dreams about nightmares, if you want to say, is being right up here preaching to all of you and having nothing to say. No, 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 no joke. No joke. I, 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 I've walked through these dreams where I'll be here, I'll walk up, and my notes are nothing on them. It's like I'm walking through mud as I'm sharing things. I, I, I can't talk. I can't speak. People are starting to leave. They're starting to, you know, exit. And I had a dream not long ago that there were, there were four ladies who stayed in church while I cleared out the place. Uh, and they were all my mom's age. They probably took pity on me. That poor little boy up there. Um, those dreams are not fun. In fact, I've had times when I've come back from vacations. And, you know, if you go on a vacation for a full week, you prepare a message beforehand, and then you go on vacation, and on Saturday night is when I kind of need to re-enter into it. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this message looked a whole lot better before I went on vacation than when I got back here tonight. And, I, and, I, and those nights are not very comfortable because I feel like, what am I going to say? Am I going to crash and burn? God, are you going to speak? You have to show up in this type of a place. Uh, you know, those, those, those fears are in us with different things. And public speaking is one of those that has always kind of brought me to that place of being dependent upon God and saying, God, it has to be you. But those fears come out in other ways. So ask yourself. Do you have some anxieties or fears or worry today? Again, maybe it's something vague, but how does it manifest itself in you or in your life? Well, let me give you a, a deep theological lesson, if I could, from the land of Winnie the Pooh, all right? The, the Hundred Acre Woods, okay? Um, I've discovered that there are two kind of worriers in life about the things that we, we go through. There's the rabbit, and if you remember Winnie the Pooh, um, he had a friend by the name of Rabbit who was very anxious when he worried about stuff. And he would say, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do, Pooh? What are we going to do, right? Okay, you remember Rabbit? Some of you are like, well, that was a long time ago. That's hard to remember. You know, maybe you have kids or grandkids that you remember watching some of these with. So you have the, the anxious kind of, what are we going to do? What are we going to do side of things? And then you have the Eeyore type of people. You remember them? Okay, remember Eeyore? Oh, it's never going to work, right? We might as well just crawl into a hole and die. There's nothing we can do. And most of us here in this room probably fit into one of those two categories. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Getting all stressed out or just like, it's not going to work. Why don't we just give up? Why? 
You realize Jesus had an Eeyore and a rabbit in his discipleship group? He did. He had an Eeyore and a rabbit. Their names were Andrew and Philip. And so if you have your Bibles, we have been going through this series on the other suppers where we've been looking at the suppers through the book of Luke. We're going to jump over to the book of John today. Because in Luke, we don't see that Andrew and Philip are mentioned. But at this feeding of 5,000, John gives us a few other details that I want to kind of look into. So John chapter 6. Let's continue our series on the other suppers. Which, by the way, let me just encourage you, next week, don't miss next week. Next week, we are taking the Lord's Supper. So really what this whole entire series is based upon, that is the supper. And then we're looking at all the other suppers. But next week, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Um, and so um, we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper in maybe ways that you had never heard before. Because every time we observe it, we don't get a lot of chance to talk and teach on that. And so um, I think you'll be blessed to hear kind of some symbolism and things that are in the Lord's Supper that we haven't often heard. And I'm going to challenge all of you who are listening online. If you're in driving distance, come be a part of what we're doing because we know we have dozens and dozens of people who uh, listen online every Sunday morning as well. Um, but if you're in the area, come and observe the Lord's Supper with us and um, invite someone to come as well. Uh, next Sunday will be a great, great day. You know, as we look at the uh, feeding of the 5,000, you realize that whether it's in Luke or Matthew, or Mark, or John, this is one of the only miracles. The only other miracle is Jesus' resurrection that is mentioned in all four Gospels. So no other miracle besides the resurrection is mentioned in all four Gospels except the feeding of the 5,000. And um, as Damon said, I think he mentioned this at the beginning of the service as well as he did the last service, uh, there were probably more like ten to fifteen to 20,000 people who were fed that day because um, uh, you just counted men. You didn't count their wives and, and their children. And so I've actually been over to Israel, and they'll take you to places such as this where we do not know if this was the exact place that the feeding of the 5,000 was done on, but it was a place like this. Um, overseeing the sea um, on a hillside like this where you could have very easily seen 5,000 people gather, 10, 20,000 people is what it may have been who are actually on that hillside. In fact, all over Israel, there are also these mosaic, these fish mosaics that were discovered in 1932. They were unearthed by archaeologists. And so now it's kind of been popular to make them into coasters or postcards or other things like that. Um, that's remembering, commemorating the two fish and then the loaves that are in the basket as well. So it was in this type of an area um, that we look and we say, okay, this is where the miracle took place. Um, and yet what I want to get to is that opening question. And that is, what's the key to our worries, to our fears, to our anxieties? The key is this, is asking the question, how big is my view of Jesus? How big is your view? of Jesus and what he can do in your life. I pray after this message that your view would be bigger than it was when you came in. John chapter 6, verse 1 says this. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up 
on the mountain. And there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, I I read that question. I thought, you know, that is kind of a very unique question because, um, and you'll have to excuse me. I've just lost my notes here. It was a very unique question because um, Philip was the one who would be saying, why are you asking this of me when, when you're the son of God? Why are you asking this of me when I don't know the answer to that question? In fact, it would be a little bit like if Damon asked me, hey, Pastor Brad, do you want me to play this in A, you know, C sharp, F, or, you know, B minor, D, A, whatever those notes are. I'd be like, I have no clue. You're the music man. You do it. I don't have any clue as to how this should go. And I'm sure Philip was thinking the same type of thing. Like, you know, Jesus, you're the one who's claiming to be the Son of God. You're the one who can rain manna down from heaven. Why are you asking me this question? But verse uh, 6 answers why Jesus asked him that question. It says, Jesus said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus knew what he was going to do. He was just asking Philip to see, Philip, how big is your view of me? Philip, how big is your view of what I can do in your life? See, Jesus knew the need long before they had any sort of a plan. In fact, Jesus knew the solution even before they knew the problem. Let me say that again. Jesus knew the solution to the problem even before they knew they had a problem. You need to hear that this week. Because in some of your lives this week, you will find out that you will have a phone call that just puts your world in disarray. Or you will have a meeting with someone that you did not expect to have coming. Something will be happening with your children or with your grandchildren. Something will be happening in your work or in your schooling. Someone that you did not want to see may come your way. Maybe there is, you know, a, a situation at work that you're going to have to deal with. Or, or maybe there's a pink slip kind of uh, threatening or hanging over your head or something with your health. Something will happen this week that you did not know was going to happen and I need to remind you that Jesus knows the solution even before you know the problem. And so walk back in on Monday confident of that. Walk throughout your week confident to know whatever comes your way, Jesus is already aware of it. And he knows the steps that you need to take. And so to take those moments and pause and say, Jesus, I want to be dependent upon you. Make me more dependent upon you. In fact, you know, we're going through this series on the other suppers. And uh, it, it reminded me of, of food and, and how we treat food here in Stockton, California in 2018 and really across America. Uh, you know, every time we eat, we are supposed to really celebrate our dependency upon God and his faithfulness to us in how we eat. Every time I hope you come to that place and you pause and you pray and you thank the Lord for the food and you do it with gratitude. Many of you do that, you know, 
breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If you don't, I would encourage you to do that. And, and in this day, uh, the, the biblical days, um, you know, the model here is even uh, the Lord's Prayer. The Lord prays, you know, give us this day our daily bread. We see the fish and the loaves here that Jesus blesses uh, as he looks to heaven and thanks the Lord for that. But I, I have to remind you, nobody in the ancient world ever took food for granted. Nobody did that. I mean, today, many of us take food for granted. Now, I know there's, there's you know, childhood poverty, and I know there's adults that sometimes we don't know where our next meal is coming from, but pretty much across the board, we, we are well-fed here in America, well-fed here in Stockton. But back in the biblical days, nobody took food for granted. It's different today because we have McDonald's, Right? I mean, we have Walmart, and Walmart, you can find anything you want at Walmart, right? You can even go to Costco and get food for free, huh, right? I know some of you go around, opportune time, you choose a time, right, before lunch and dinner, right? Okay, hey, dinner's on me tonight, guys, you know, that type of thing with the kids and the family, right? You can get those samples for free, yeah, we, we have the Walmarts today. There's little now that Walmart does not provide for us or promise for us in terms of meeting your daily needs. Think about that. It's almost as though Walmart now is omnipresent and omnipotent. It's almost as though, you know, Walmart, uh, Jehovah Jireh, uh, Walmart Jireh, right? The, the great Walmart provider, okay? We, we may pray to God, but then we turn to Walmart for our daily needs. And, and we need to kind of rethink that, that it's, it's the Lord who gives us the finances to go purchase what we have at Walmart, not that Walmart's the one giving it to us. It's the Lord that does that. And so you even see in Luke chapter 11, give us this day our daily bread. That's how Jesus teaches us to pray, to be dependent upon him. And so my encouragement to you today is that we need to pray for our daily bread, not because we're worried about where our next meal comes from, but precisely because we're not worried where our next meal will come from. We're dependent upon ourselves, and we think we know where that comes from, our own good and our own pantry and our own stores that we go to and visit. But back in the biblical days, they didn't have those types of systems. They didn't have food trucks that just drove up uh, and said, here you go, let's feed the masses. Right? They didn't have that. In fact, I was reading this week, I was reminded of this, where it says, we miss the physical joy of being satisfied because we're perpetually satisfied. Think about your stomachs. Huh? They're pretty satisfied most of the time, right? It says, fasting is any opportunity to rediscover the joy of simple food that's received from God as a gift to us. That's where it comes from. It comes from him. And so we look at this and we say, okay, Philip, did he know where his food comes from? Did he know in this problem where he was going to turn? Look at verse 7. It says, Philip answered Jesus, you know what, Jesus? 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little bit. 
if you want to calculate that out, it's about thirty to forty thousand dollars. He's saying in our day and age, the money. He's saying not even thirty to forty thousand dollars is going to be able to feed all the people on that hillside. Not even a little bit. And so, if you want to take that to what it means, get your outlines out. Look at the first fill in there. It would be this. One word summarizes Philip's reaction. He is overwhelmed. He is overwhelmed by what's come his way. Maybe today you're feeling like you're overwhelmed with the bills you have to pay, maybe the work you have to do, maybe the overwork you have to do, maybe you have too many responsibilities going on in your life. Uh, This week, maybe if not this week, this month, you will face situations like that. But here's the cool thing. With Jesus, an impossible situation is an opportunity. That's, That's where God brings us. Of realizing that an impossible situation is simply an opportunity for me to show myself. We've said this for years, that you can't have a miracle without a problem. And so here's the problem. The miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, it started out with a problem. People don't have food. What are we going to do? Because the truth is, I think Jesus loves impossible situations. I mean, think about this. You say, okay, what does that mean, Pastor Brad? What Jesus loves impossible situations. Um, born of a virgin, pretty po- impossible, right? Okay, dead, uh, doesn't get much w- more final than that, comes back to life. I mean, that's our God taking those kind of impossible situations. And John records these stories of examples of what Jesus has done in the past, but also what he's going to do for us in the future. It's why we have, we've encouraged you around here. Keep a journal. Keep a prayer journal. Keep a journal of, of how God has acted in, in your life and how he's provided for you in your life. You know, um, last week, became aware of one of our families here in our congregation, uh, Jose and Megan Aguirre. Um, their son, Joseph, who's seven years of age, um, has leukemia. They just found this out last week. Megan often sings over in our choir here. Jose has sung in our praise team. They're connected in with our school, our children's ministry, and our music ministry. Um, and, you know, as I contacted them and just said, how can we be praying for you? And as I went up and visited them, he's up in uh, Roseville. Uh, right now. Mom, Megan, has been up there. Jose goes back and forth from work, and um, I went up and met with them on on uh, Friday. Our other pastors have been up there as well, Pastor Damon with the music team, and, um, you know, Megan said, you know what, first of all, let me just say this, Pastor Brad. She said, you know, if you come to First Baptist, she said, tell the people, get connected so that people know you, because she said, we've been just overwhelmed with goodness and love from when this has happened. It's only gone on for about a week, week and a half now. She said, boy, we couldn't imagine how we could have done this on our own. There's been so many phone calls, so many prayers that have gone up, so many people saying, can we help with your kids? Because they have two other little boys, total of three in the family. This is their middle child who's going through this. She said, boy, we could not have done this without our church family. And so let me encourage you. We've said that for years, that you're either going into some sort of a storm, you're in a storm, or you're just coming out of a storm. And if you're in one of those three areas, just realize where you are and where you may be soon. Get people around you before you enter into those storms. And she was saying that. That's what she was encouraging. Tell the folks to do that because our church family, God operates so much through other people that have loved us and cared for us. And as I was talking with her, I also mentioned that there was another family. We actually showed a video of them a few years ago that their little daughter had cancer. 
went through all the treatments, lost her hair. Um, and, and yet this little girl, you would not even know now that uh, she went through those treatments. And I said, you know, I'd love to connect you with that mom who walked through those anxious and those worrisome days. Because God was so faithful with her. And he will be with you as well. And that's the reminders we need. That when we're going through a situation, when it seems impossible, it's just an opportunity that God is going to reveal and show himself. And so let me ask you the question. What have you or I decided is too big for God to handle? What have you walked in here today saying, you know what, that's, a, that, that, that's just too big. This, this is what Philip was going on. He's looking up at the hillside and he's saying, this is too big for Jesus, for you to handle. How is that going to take place? And there are many of you who have walked in here today. He said, ah, it's a little too big for God to deal with this one. Maybe you're um, changing a habit in your life. You haven't been able to overcome it. You kept falling back and falling down and falling down and falling down. Or maybe you're praying for a habit to be changed in someone else's life, someone's uh, life that you're interacting with or you love them very much and you see the destruction that they're bringing on their lives. Maybe it's a new career that you are walking into. Maybe it's something with your children. You're, you're asking the Lord to change their heart in some way. Maybe it's someone coming to a faith and you just cannot imagine how they would ever come to a faith, but you've been praying for it. What maybe have you been saying is too God, too big for God to handle today. Maybe you haven't really verbalized it, but maybe your actions have shown it. In fact, whatever came to mind, would you make a mental note of that? If you'd like, maybe you can even write it down on your page if you think you might forget it. I'm going to come back to that at the end of the message here. But make a mental note, because I would guess every one of us has something that we're holding back, saying, God, this is, this is even too big for you. Here's the second question, though. In light of God's greatness shown through what Jesus is doing here in this place, it's how do I measure my resources that he's given to me? How do I measure my resources? In fact, Andrew now, he's the Eeyore of the disciples, all right? He speaks up in verses 8 and 9. Look what he says. He says, it says, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they with so many people here? And I'm kind of like, it'll never work. I don't even know if I should bring this up with you. What are, what are five loaves and two fish going to do with all these people up here? In fact, one word summarizes Andrew's reaction, you can write it down, and that was discouraged. He's discouraged about this. It's too little, never going to work. You know, if, if Philip was overwhelmed, he's saying it's too big. Then here's Andrew, he's discouraged, and he's saying it's too small. It's not enough. It's never going to happen. But write this down, would Jesus Limited resources are plenty. Limited resources are plenty. Where do you pull that from? Look at verse 10. It says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. It says, now there was much grass in the place. And by the way, this is not like the first Woodstock, okay, with the grass. All right, there was much grass in the place, okay? The grass was for sitting on, not smoking, okay? All right, just, just making sure we're all aware of that, all right? 
There was much grass in the place, so the men said, some of you are just getting that. Some of you will get that at lunchtime, all right? Yeah. Some of you will be like, dude, look, think about what we learned in church today, right? Yeah, yeah, right, okay? Um, there was much grass in the place, so they sat down. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm hearing more and more you get that. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And the Greek word here is to sit down is that same word for recline like we talked about last week where Jesus was in the home of the disciple and he kind of reclined. So, so, the, so the people are like sitting back now. And it's as though Jesus is saying, hey, come on, get ready. A feast is coming. And you can just kind of pick up the tension that's in the room here because in verse um, 11 it says, then Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks... All right, now watch this. Let's get the picture here. So, so 5,000, actually double that, 10,000. You could triple that if you like with women and children. Could be 15,000 eyes are looking at Jesus. And he has these like two loaves, um, uh, pretty small. Um, they were kind of flat bread, flat bread kind of buns. And, and then he's got these, these fish Five loaves, two fish, and, the, and these fish are not like 100-pound tuna fish, all right? In fact, most scholars think it was more like little sardine-type fish that he had. And so here's Jesus. He's got this, you know, five loaves, two fish, and here they are. And so he decides, well, okay, yeah, let's, let's start to pray. And can't you imagine the disciples? They're like watching this, and they're like, whoop, I think I'll step back from this one. This one doesn't look like it's going anywhere, okay? Let's just let Jesus kind of fall on the sword on that one. And Jesus prays, and he just starts handing food out, and more, and more, and more, and more, and more. And the disciples are like, oh, hey, yeah, we were in on that. Yeah, sure, we're here. Good, good for you, Jesus. And verse 11, the second part of it, says, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. All right, go back on this. Here's how this started. Giving thanks and committing what you have to the Lord is how the miracle started. Remember what Jesus did? He looked up, he gave thanks, and he committed it to God. Giving thanks and committing what you have to the Lord is the beginning of the miracle. Because, as I said, to have a miracle, you have to have a problem. Well, giving thanks and committing what you have to the Lord starts the miracle. That's how it begins. And that is a prayer more of you need to pray this week. More of you need to begin to give thanks for what God has given to you and then commit what you have to Him. How's that look, Pastor Brad? Well, maybe it's something like this. God, thank you for the job that you have given to me. Yeah, maybe it doesn't provide all that I was hoping that it would. Maybe it doesn't have, you know, the hours that I was hoping. But God, thank you for what you have given to me. And thank you for how I can use it to help meet the needs of myself and my family and taking care of others. Thank you. I give it to you. Maybe it could be this. God, thank you for the relationships that you've given to me in my life. Yeah, maybe I'd like to be married, um, but I don't have that place in my life, or I don't have that special someone in my life right now, but God, I commit this to you, the relationships that you have given to me, even the time that I have in my life to give a little bit more relationship to you. God, I give that to you now. 
Maybe it would be, God, thank you for the car that you've blessed me with. Yeah, it doesn't look so good. Maybe it needs a paint job, but it gets me from point A to point B. God, thank you for what you've given to me. I give it to you. Thank you and commit. God, thank you for, for my marriage. And, and even though it might not be all that I want it to be, thank you so far for what I have in my marriage. I give that to you. And, you know, just let me give you a word of encouragement on this as well. Um, you know, my wife does this so well in our marriage. Um, she magnifies my good qualities and downplays my bad qualities. And way too many of us do that in reverse. We magnify the bad qualities, and we minimize the good qualities. But wives, if you'll do this to your husbands, husbands, if you'll do this to your wives, you will find that in the midst of that, they'll see what maybe they're lacking. They'll see what maybe they're not measuring up to. Magnify the good ones. Minimize the bad ones. Praise them for that. My wife often will say, I I know that wasn't your heart. You know, in those moments when you say something you shouldn't have said and it just kind of come flying out, you wish you could grab it and put it back in, right? I know that wasn't your heart. Too many of you think your spouse is Hitler's second cousin, and they're not, okay? They're really not. See them as a good-willed person, a good-willed person, and I think your relationship will change. So here's Jesus. He, he is doling out the goods. He's given the bread. He's given the fish. He's putting them out in the people's hands. And verse 12 says, And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Why do you have to do that? I mean, can't you go back to that well and pull out some more? He did it so that he could show the disciples just how much they had already eaten and how much was left over. Because how many disciples were there? And how many baskets left over were there? Twelve. says they gathered them up and filled the twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves um, left by those who had eaten the food. So here's the question. Next fill in there. What have I decided is too little for God to work with? What have you decided in your life right now is too little for God to work with? Most of you probably will start with, yeah, my money, my finances. You know, let me just share this uh, about First Baptist in general I just have to say thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, allowing us to do with our Imagine campaign what you have allowed us to do, and even purchasing the community center next door. I mean, do you realize that we're, we're paying off this debt here on the children's building, and in the midst of that, we saw God's hand move to be able to purchase the community center next door, and, and you all stepped up and said, yes, let's do it. In fact, let me share how that came about in some ways. Midway through our campaign, we realized that we were going to take on more debt. And so more of you stepped up and said, we want to help give even more. Right now, the campaign that we started was the commitments that were made back in December of 2015 were to bring in about $1.52 million. Those were the commitments from all of you in the congregation. We have about reached that amount. Now, that doesn't mean you should stop. Please don't. Because you know that we have still debt that we are paying on. And so many of you know that you've just been continuing to give at that level. 
And so whatever level you're at, we say thank you, and if you'll continue to, because we know we have more campaigns coming. In fact, with this campaign, we're in line to bring in somewhere between 1.7 or 1.8 million. That's an extra $250,000 that we're just saying we want to pay the debt off with that. Why? Because so many of you have been so faithful. So many of you understand we do have a larger debt that we are paying for. And so many of you have said, we'll just kind of continue giving at the level that we're giving, even though you've made your campaign pledge and you've reached that campaign pledge. And if you're not in on that, we would love for you to join in because you know what? It has been so worth it. You think about the children's building that we built next door, started in 2001 campaign and constructed in 2004. Right now, we have 25 kids who are waiting to get baptized here in about two or three weeks. We celebrate with them. We celebrate with their families as they're going to walk. That's not even counting the adults that will be getting baptized on that day as well. We're excited for that. After our services here today, after the 1115 service, we're going to have a party over at the community center in the parking lot. We're going to have games and fun. Pastor Derek talked about that just to get to share good times together. Hopefully, we'll be reaching out to the community as well. If you head home after the service, you see some neighbor kids out, and you figure, hey, let's bring and invite the family. Please invite them to come. I'd love to meet them. Come introduce them to me if you would couple weeks, we're going over there again for the Mother's Day services we're going to have over there. And then plans are right now that the fall time we'll be over at the community center and call that our home. Why? All because so many of you have stepped up and said, I may have just a little bit of resources, but God, would you do with these as you will? And in God's hand, there are no little resources. Amen? There are no, no gift is too small. Let me ask it again, though. What if I decided it's too little for God to work with? Is it my money? Is it my time? Is it my energy? Some of you have probably played this game. In fact, look at the words up on the screen here. Have you ever played this game? When I get more blank, then I'm going to do more blank. Right? I mean, I mean, just fill in the gaps there. When I get more time... Then I'm going to do more ministry or service or volunteering to make a difference in my community. When, when, when I get more energy, then I'm going to do more with my kids or my grandkids and instill more spiritual values or things in there. When I get more money, then I'm going to do more giving. Listen. It will never be enough. Just start with what you have. That's what this little boy did. He just stepped up and said, here's what I got. I mean, can you imagine Moses? God, I don't speak so well. Don't make me go to Pharaoh. He kind of did that, didn't he? What did God say? Moses, just obey me. Just go and watch what I do. David saying, don't make me go to that big Goliath. Don't make me go to that giant. All I got is a sling and a couple of stones. No, he steps up and he says, okay, God, I may have youth. I may be small, but here's what I got. God slayed a giant through him. This little boy stepping up at the five loaves of two fish. Not a lot, but here's what I got. Jesus loves to take what little we have to show how great he is. In fact, the, more small, the smaller it is, the greater he becomes. Can we go there? Right? 
You cannot outgive God. You cannot. You cannot outresource God. In fact, one of my favorite stories about this is a story of Tony Campolo. He's uh, been a, a pastor and a sociology professor at Eastern Baptist Theological Seminary on the East Coast. And uh, Tony Campolo tells about the time that he was in a missions meeting and they took up an offering. It was money that he was planning to use for something else, but he thought the cause was great. And so he put money in the offering plate and they took the offering and it went you know, back to where it goes and was going to help the ministry. And then a missionary speaker stepped back up and said, okay, thank you for the offering that you've given me now, but now I would like to ask for pledges, for pledge cards of money that will come in the future. And it was on a piece of paper. And Tony knew the gentleman. He felt bad that he wasn't giving more. And so he just wrote this down. He said, Dr. So-and-so, whoever it was, he says, as long as my present car lasts, all the money that I pick up on speaking engagements... I'm going to give to your work in missions. So he wrote that down on that card. He thought he was being pretty generous. He said, but (laughs) you don't know my car. It's got like a sound in the rear end, and it's got a funny noise going on in the engine. And and Tony's bald. And so Tony said, and you think I'm bald? You should have seen the tires, the tread on those tires. Man, they had nothing on them. And he's thinking, you know, I figured that car wasn't going to last another month or so, but I was trying to be generous. All the money I pick up from all the speaking engagements until that car died, it goes to missions. He says, three years later, that car was still going. He says, I hated that car. I cursed that car. I spat on that car. I kicked that car when people weren't looking. The car just wouldn't die. He said, I'd have kids come to me from the school and say, hey, I'm having difficulties with my girlfriend up the, up the state. Can I, um, and Tony would say, please, take the car. Take the car. Just go. Just use it. One time he's got 110 miles to drive up for a speaking engagement that he had in one of those three years when he had the car. So he decides, man, 110 up, 110 back, I'm on, let's do it, let's kill this car. He drives up to the speaking engagement. The second night he is speaking, tire goes out. Gets out of the car and notices all the other tires are pretty flat walks into the church, speaks it up, preaches it, teaches it, walks back out to the parking lot, and he has four brand new tires on his car. One of the deacons, while he was in speaking, saw his car, knew it was his, saw that he had four tires that had gone flat, called a local mechanic, had him come down, put the tires on his car, and that's what Tony walked back out to. He thought Oral Roberts or Benny Hinn had laid hands on his car. You can't outgive God. God said, keep that money coming. I'm keeping your car alive. You can't outgive God. And so you think about these resources that this little boy steps up with. God, here's what you think about the resources that you put into the offering plate today. Some of you gave money that you didn't have. And yet God's going to use that in such a great way. Ways that probably will outlast you. Because of the mission work we do, the work in downtown Stockton, the work north, south, east, west here, and not only getting to present and share the gospel, facilities that we have, even today. You know, think about the money that it costs to do an event like that just as an outreach so that people can be showed Jesus. Where, where, where has your view of God been too limited? Where have you said, God, this is too small. You can't do anything with this. What's your view of God? Let me share one last story. 
in C.S. Lewis's Prince Caspian. It's part of the Narnia series. One of the children comes up to Aslan, who's, who's the Christ figure in the story. And the child hadn't seen Aslan in a while. There's been a prolonged absence. And so he comes up to Aslan, who's the lion in the story, and he says, Aslan, you're bigger. And Aslan answers, that's because you are older, little one. And the child says, not because you are? And Aslan says, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. That is so true for us here today. Have you realized that Jesus is way bigger than your worries, than your fears, than your anxieties, than whatever you made a mental note of or put down on that paper about 25 minutes ago? If not, then your view of Jesus is way too small. Where have you limited him? Where have you said, the problem's too big? Or where have you said, what I have to give is too small? My prayer today will be that you see a miracle that happened 2,000 years ago. And you will know those kind of miracles still happen today. May not be in a grandiose way where you feed 10, 12, 15,000, but they will happen for you. As you take steps with him, what's your view of your God? Let's pray. You know, as you quiet your heart before the Lord, let me just privately ask you to consider the meaning of what we've been talking about here today. How has God spoken to you? Where is there a place in your life that you've been limiting God? Or perhaps you've been feeling like um, the problem's too big or your resources are too small. As we sit in silence for the next few moments, just allow God's Spirit to speak to your heart. What's too big in your life right now? What kind of a problem have you not been trying to face or turn over to God because you even think it's too big for Him? What resources do you think are then too small? God, we need to ask for forgiveness because there's way too much that we try and do on our own There's way too much that we think we know the right steps to take or maybe even not to bring it to you because it may seem inconsequential. But God, you have asked for us to come. And God, even as we learn this lesson from the five loaves and the two fish, we know that nothing is too small for you. So Lord God, may you show your greatness today. And Lord God, throughout this week, 
that we are going to have before us. When things come our way that perhaps we did not expect, God, may we be reminded that you are already aware of the answer before that problem even existed. God, today, when we walk out of this place, may our view of you be bigger than it has ever been before. And may we know and be reminded that you desire to be involved in everything we walk through. We give those things to you now, and we ask for your spirit to work as your spirit has never worked before. God, show your greatness. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.